And Father, that's really why we, we come to your word. We come to your word every day because we want to see you. We want to be guided by you. We want to be led by you in the world. But it's also why we come to your word here as your people each week on Sunday. Because we do want to hear you speak, Lord. We know that, that you have the words of eternal life. You have the words that are light and the darkness. You have words that will guide us and give us strength. In this world, and so we pray now, as we come to your word, that that you would speak to each one of us, and that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. That all of the different distractions that we may have, we we have things to do, we have fears, we have struggles that we're in the midst of. But Father, we pray that you just push all of that to the back, push that all to the side, so that we could hear you speak to us clearly and powerfully this morning. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I think you're probably just going to have, oh, now it's working. It's like a teenager, it's temperamental. Not my, not my teenagers. Well, we're continuing to work our way through the Gospel of John, and we're looking at just the last four verses of the first portion of John, which if you ever hear the word, it's called the prologue. It's like the introduction to the Gospel of John, which is the first 18 verses, and so we're looking at the last four verses of this introduction this morning. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. There's something kind of deep down inside of all of us, I think just at the core of humanity, that, that wants to see God. Right? There's kind of this longing in us. And I was remembering, I was thinking it was just a couple of years ago, and then this morning I thought it was a lot longer ago than a couple of years ago. Um, but there was this kind of phase in our culture where everyone was seeing, and this is in quotes, Jesus in everything. Right? Um, you know, they were seeing Jesus in all these obscure places. Like I remember the guy who thought he saw the face of Jesus on his grilled cheese sandwich. Right, and it made the news because Jesus appeared on his sandwich, and and it's because there's this desire, right? There's this desire in us to see God, and and it's kind of at just the heart of heart of our culture. I've, I've heard people say this to me before, like if if God wants me to believe in Him, He can just show up and show Himself to me. If He shows Himself to me, then I'll believe Him, and it's this kind of I'll believe it when I see it. 
kind of mentality, and, and that's kind of at the heart of it. And all of this is at the root of what uh, the Bible calls idolatry. There's, we we want to have a God that we can see, that we can touch, and so we make one ourselves, right? That's what we read about in the, the psalm at the beginning of the service, right, where God, God delivers his people out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He does all of this. He brings them to Mount Sinai. And they say, well, we want a God that we can touch and we can see. And so what do they do? They make a cow. And they hold it up and they say, this is the God that delivered you. Because there's something inside of us that wants to see God. And, and, and the interesting thing with that whole story is, is, even Moses falls into that trap a little bit. I mean, if you remember the story, they, they're holding up this golden calf, right? And they're worshiping it. And Moses comes back down from Mount Sinai and he's holding the, the Ten Commandments, right? He's holding these two stone tablets. And he sees the people worshiping this calf and he gets angry and he throws the tablets down and breaks them. And then a little while later, he's like, God's like, I'm, I'm going to be done with these people. And Moses is begging God, like, please don't go. Please stay with us. What are we going to do if you, if you leave us? And then in the middle of that, Moses says, well, show me your glory. Isn't that interesting? He, he just got angry at all the people for worshiping this calf. And Moses goes to God and says, but can we see, can we see something? Can, can I see a little bit? Can I, can I see a little bit of your glory or something? And God responds and says, you can't see my face. Men shall not, you can't see me and, and live. Um, but what's interesting is God accommodates himself to Moses, right? He goes, but you can see my back or my backside. Is really, you can see my backside, but you won't be able to see my Face And so God says, you're not going to be able to see my face, but I'll, I'll, I'll accommodate you a little bit, and you'll get to see my backside. And, and more than that happens, God says, when, when I come by, I'm gonna, you're going to go into this cleft in a rock, and, and when I come by you, you I'm going to proclaim, it says, all of my goodness is going to pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name. And so God passes by Moses. I know this is small, but I wanted it all on the same screen. He says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what's profound about this, God said, I'm going to proclaim to you my name and my goodness. And this is the name of the God, He's of our God. It's not just Yahweh. The name of our God is these attributes. It's, it's his character. It's who he is. A God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And one of the interesting things is, is as we dive into our passage in John this morning, he's writing it so that we remember this story about Moses. You know, people have looked to this story of Moses and thought, 
Wow, how cool would that be to be like in a cleft of a rock and, and God's glory passing before you, him proclaiming his name and him proclaiming his goodness. And John begins his gospel by saying, basically, you think that was powerful. We saw Jesus. We saw the eternal God in force. He says that word, Jesus Christ, that word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. So when God said he was going to reveal himself to Moses, it specifically says, God, God tells Moses, I'm going to come down and I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to proclaim my name and my goodness to you. And now John's saying, yeah, you thought that was cool. Now God says, I'm going to come down and I'm not just going to stand before you. He's going to dwell among us. He's not just going to proclaim his name. He's not just going to proclaim his goodness. He was the name. He was the word. He was, he was the goodness. When we saw Jesus, we saw the very goodness of God. We saw the name of God. He said, that, that whole experience with Moses, you may have thought that was cool and powerful. But when we had Jesus in front of us, that was even more powerful. And, you know, a few weeks ago when we started this series, I, I said, you know, we can't really understand anything that happens in the gospel unless we understand that those first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Um, and that's really important here. Because we don't really understand the weight and the power of the fact that the Word became flesh. Until we realize that the Word was God. Or as we said a couple weeks ago, that the Word is the eternal God who has existed from eternity, who had no end or creation. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's hard for us to even... Get that in our brain. And, uh, and it's important to notice the words because the wording is very careful here because it says the word became flesh. Um, and it kind of helps us from falling into a couple different errors of understanding Jesus. Um, you know, there's been this error throughout, throughout history, the understanding that Jesus' life began when he was born. Before he was born, he didn't exist, but when he was born, then he did exist. And, and this is saying, no, when he was born, he became flesh. That means he existed before that. He just became flesh in, an, in that moment. And so, again, it's this idea that the eternal, infinite God, when he was born, became flesh. But there's this other error that, that, that happens as well when people understand, okay, we understand that Jesus is God. We understand that he's the eternal God. Um, so when he was born, he just kind of like put on humanity like a, like a robe. He just kind of, he didn't have to give up his divinity. He just put it on and kind of pretended to be a human so he could interact with us. Uh, but that's not what it says either. It says he became flesh. Not just he took it on. We use that language, but 
We have to understand that he became flesh. That, that in some way, when Jesus was born, when he came to the earth, all of his divinity and all of his humanity were joined. And he didn't have to give up any of his divinity to become human. And he didn't pretend to be human because he was really divine. They're all united together. He was both fully God and he was fully man at the same time. And it's hard for us to understand, and we don't even have to always understand it, but, but that's what we're taught over and over throughout Scripture, that when we see Jesus, we see someone who's fully God and fully human at the same time. And what's, what's hard for us to get is that this, this Jesus, who's the eternal God, took on flesh, which means he took on weakness. He took on frailty. He took on dependence. And yet, in the midst of all of that, John's still able to say, and when we saw him, we saw the glory of God. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Glory that could only come from God. We saw that in Jesus Christ. Even through the weak, frail, dependent humanity, God's glory still shone through his life. It's shown through his, through his words and, and through his actions. And when people saw that glory in Jesus Christ, they said, that glory can only come from the Father. That can only come from God. And and what struck me this week is that that's what Moses asked for, wasn't it? Show me your glory. And then Jesus came and he says, here's my glory in all of its fullness. And uh, Don Carson, uh, one commentator, he said, the glory revealed to Moses when the Lord passed in front of him and sounded his name, displaying the divine goodness characterized by grace and truth. That glory was the same glory John and his friends saw in the Word made flesh. The glory that Moses saw is the same glory that they saw in Jesus Christ. But I think John's taking it a step further than that. I, don't, I think John's saying... That glory, it's the same glory, but it's actually a greater glory. He's saying, yeah, Moses saw the backside of that glory, but we saw that glory face to face. Moses saw that glory for a brief moment in time, but that glory came and lived with us. It was in front of us, and it shone throughout all of Jesus Christ's life. And he's pointing us to something I think that even hits a little closer to home and, and it answers the question for us, where do we go, where do we look if we want to see the glory of God in its clearest form? Uh, do we go outside, do we look at the clouds and the sky to see the glory of God in its clearest form? Or do we go to the mountains so we can see the power and majesty of God's creation? Is that the glory of God in its clearest form? Or do we try to find some kind of mystical experience where we feel something deeply inside? And the answer is, the glory of God's present in those places, but the clearest place to see the glory of God is in the life of Jesus Christ. 
Like, if you want to see the glory of God in the clearest form that it's ever been revealed to humanity, you have to look at the life of Jesus Christ. That's the glory of God shining out into the world. And, and to build upon that, John kind of describes what that glory looked like or how they saw that glory. He says, we've seen his glory, this glory that could only come from the Father, and it was a glory that was full of grace and truth. And he says, that's what the glory looked like. When, when, we, when we saw his glory, the glory shone through this kind of fullness of grace and truth in Jesus Christ. And, and again, uh, something that we don't pick up in here is that this is also pointing back to the story of Moses. That, you know, the, the Jewish people looked at this, this moment when God revealed himself to Moses, and they, they spoke about it a lot. And so God shows up to Moses, he reveals his name and his goodness, and then he reveals these attributes of himself. And what the Jewish people did is they, they took that and they would boil it all down and they summarized it in two words. And when God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself in grace and truth. And now John says, when we saw Jesus, guess what we saw? He was full of that grace and truth. We saw the grace and truth that God proclaimed to Moses on that mountain is the same grace and truth that we have seen in Jesus Christ. We've seen it, and he's full of it. And, and Jesus is so full of that grace and truth that it just kind of overflows onto everyone who believes in him and receives him. And that's where John goes. He says, so from the fullness of that grace and truth in Jesus Christ, we, we who have believed, we who have received Jesus, we've received grace upon grace. And he doesn't say grace and truth upon grace and truth because it just doesn't, you know, doesn't roll as much. But, but most commentators say he's, he's summarizing grace and truth by saying grace upon grace, that Jesus was so full of grace and truth it's like he was a fountain that, that bubbled over and overflowed grace and truth onto all who believed in him and all who received him. And so when we receive Christ, we receive grace upon grace upon grace and truth upon truth upon truth. And then he, he begins to elaborate what he means by that in a passage that I think is often misunderstood. He says, the, for the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in order to understand this passage rightly, we have to understand that he had just said that we're all receiving grace upon grace upon grace from Jesus Christ. And then he makes this point where it seems like he's contrasting Moses and Jesus, right? This is how I've heard it explained multiple times where they, they interpret this passage as saying, well, there once was Moses and the law, but now Jesus came and that's all been done away with. Now we just have Jesus and we have grace and truth in Christ. And so the law is just not a thing anymore. Um, and here's, well, here's why I think that's wrong. Um, because Jesus explicitly told us he didn't come to abolish the law. Um, he said it just really clearly. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law <laughs> and the prophets. And then just in case you missed it, he says it again, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And there's a big difference between abolishing and, and fulfilling, isn't there? Abolishing means to, to get rid of, to throw out, to, like we don't have anything to do with that anymore, but to fulfill means to live up to the standard, to live up to the requirements of the law. And so Jesus is saying, actually, he says in another place, all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, it was all pointing to me. It was all pointing to me. And then when Jesus was born he, and, and he lived his life out on this earth, he, he lived up to all of those standards. Everything that was taught in the law, Jesus lived out to perfection. He says, I fulfilled those requirements. That's why I'm here. And so, so we go to this verse and it says, well, it, it seems like he's contrasting. Like the law came through Moses, but, but now grace and truth come through Jesus. But what's actually, it's not a contrast I think John's saying it's an improvement. That there was grace that came through the law when God gave it to Moses. There's a grace in being guided and saying, here's how I've created you to live in the world, right? That's a grace coming from God to his people. And yet they couldn't live up to that standard. And so there's a greater grace that comes through Christ because he, he fulfilled the law for us. We couldn't live up to it. We, we failed repeatedly. God's people have failed to live out the law repeatedly. And so a greater grace came through Jesus Christ when he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And he'd keep pouring out grace upon grace. He not only fulfilled the law, but, but he also died on the cross so that we could be forgiven when we transgressed the law. And then, and then he writes the law in our hearts, we're told. And then he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to then live according to the law. And that's a greater grace. You know, it's, it's interesting when I've talked to people who say, well, we're Christians. Like, we don't have anything to do with the law anymore. And I say, well, then how, how do we know how we're supposed to live in the world? Well, we're supposed to live like Jesus. Okay. How did Jesus live in the world? Well, he lived according to the law. <laughs> he fulfilled it. We're not saved by living according to the law. Christ did that for us. But as we're being shaped to live in the world like Jesus lived in the world, he's empowering us to live in the world according to the law. We're going to fail, and we don't even do it by our own strength. That's why it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But the law hasn't been thrown out. And so there's this understanding that comes through all of this is that if you want to understand, if you want to see the glory of God, look at Jesus Christ, right? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. But, but it can actually get even closer to home that when the grace and truth of Jesus Christ overflows onto his people... And then we begin to live in the world with, by that grace and truth. Guess what shines through us? The glory of God that through Jesus Christ. Which is incredible. That the glory of God that Moses saw on the mountain can shine through us. Out into the world. Through Jesus Christ when we live lives that are full of grace. And full of truth. It's incredible. And it's not something we take lightly. 
But it's not us doing it, it's Christ. By his grace shining through us out into the world. And, and John takes it another step further when he's talking about Jesus. He says, you know, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, right? He's ref- the word who was with God, who was God, he has made him known. Right? It's another reference back to this interaction with Moses, right? God says to Moses, no one can see me and live. And John goes, but, but when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word who, who was always with God, who, who was always God, when he came, he made God known to us. And what he's saying is, when he came, we looked at him and we saw God. We saw it. That there's this understanding that when, when Jesus living in this world is the clearest revelation, would be one way to say it, of who God is. He, he showed the world who God was in his clearest way because he was God. And, and to kind of connect this to last week's message and, and to kind of tie these themes of John together, Jesus is the ultimate witness. Like if you want to know, if you, you know, a witness is someone who shows who God is, who tells who God is and points people, right? So you look at Jesus and what did he do? He's the clearest showing of who God is. He's the clearest telling who God is and repeatedly, he repeatedly pointed people to the Father. He was always saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from me, you cannot know the Father because he's the clearest form of a witness in the world because he was God. <laughs> and, and kind of the point of this is uh, Ritter Boss, another Dutch guy that I like, he says the, the whole circle is complete from the first couple verses of John to the end of this introduction no one of all the witnesses to God has witnessed to God like the one who was from the beginning with God and was God. No other witness. John the Baptist had nothing on him, right? None of the other witnesses we're going to see throughout this gospel are going to have anything on Jesus. Jesus was the clearest example of who God is. And to take that and to make it really practical... I'm going to make a bigger point, and then I'm going to make it practical. Where do you go if you want to satisfy that longing in your heart to see God? You look to the life of Jesus Christ. That's where you go. Um, You don't have to look for it on a grilled cheese sandwich. You don't have to try to look for it in some mystical, magical experience. You look to Jesus Christ. You look at his life. And there you see God. And you see it coming from the grace and truth of his life and his actions. Um, But to make that and to bring it even more practical, and I'm going to ask this question in a leading way, where do you go to see the life of Jesus Christ? The word of God. And that sounds so boring. (laughs) Like, where do you go to see God himself? You read your Bible. 
It's actually an amazingly powerful experience. We, we, we go all these places to try to see the glory of God. We, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a, I will go to the mountains and sit and be in awe by God's creation repeatedly. But what we're taught this morning, if you want to see the glory of God clearly and powerfully, don't go to the mountains. Don't go off looking for some mystical experience. Crack open your Bible and look at the life of Jesus Christ. And there you will see the glory of God, and there you will see God himself in the Bible. Because that's where God said, here I am. And, and the, powerful, the powerful part of that is that we come in, we read our Bible, we, we see the glory of God, we, we see the fullness of his grace and truth, and then what happens? The fullness of that grace and truth overflows and it flows onto us. And we begin to be filled with his grace and truth that comes from the Bible. And then, and then that grace and truth fills us and then it does what? It overflows from us onto those around us. And so connecting this with us is how, how are we witnesses in the world? Well, it's when grace and truth overflows from us onto the world around us. And when that happens, people see the glory of God overflowing from us. And in some unique way, different from Jesus himself, they see Christ in us, don't they? They see God shining through us into the world. And that comes from reading our Bible. It comes from following Jesus Christ and being filled with grace and truth. And so if we want to be a witness in the world like Jesus was, we, it begins by just first resting in his grace and truth, resting in his forgiveness, resting in his teaching. Um, but then we receive that grace and truth, we're filled with that grace and truth, and then it overflows from us onto our families, onto our coworkers, and onto our communities. And when that happens, we're witnesses, and people see the glory of God and through our life, they can even begin to see God himself. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we, we come to you really in awe by the way that you work in the world, by the way you work in our lives. Uh, we come to you recognizing that you have shown your glory all over the world. And yet you've shown your glory in one particular place brighter than all the others, and that's through your word. And how we see Jesus Christ in your word. And Father, we, we come to you, we confess that we look for your glory in all these other places apart from the one place where you've told us to look the closest, which is your word. And so we, we confess, we repent. Father, we, we pray that you would, you would stir our hearts to come to your word where we would see your glory and we would see you for who you are in your word. Help us to open our eyes to see clearly, open our hearts to receive. Father, and then continue to stir our hearts to be able to look for you in your word and then flowing out of your word to see your glory in, in all of creation, Lord, as well. And so, Father, may you fill us with your grace and truth. And may your grace and truth overflow in our lives onto those around us. 
And may you use us so that people can see your glory shining through us out into the world. Father, use us as witnesses so that people would see Christ and that they would see Christ in us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.